Hello, <clears throat> and welcome to Crusher Talk, another riveting episode with your friend, Haley Crusher Kane. You may notice my voice is a little wonky. I have been getting sick at an alarming frequency. I will not speak to my regrets of not recording an episode last Tuesday because, one, I find those things annoying because no one cares. Just get into the next episode. Two, <clears throat> when you're sick, you're sick. So I'm on the mend, feeling a lot better, although my voice may be a bit wonky today. Let's get into Crusher Talk. Okay. So let's see. Crusher Talk news. Okay, Crusherverse news. Um, I have had an adventure with AI that I would like to share with you. <laughs> if you're not aware of it, um, ChatGBT is the first, basically, AI open portal, almost like Google when Google first started, where you could just search anything um, that is interactive. You can actually interact with it. You can ask it questions. Uh, it is my understanding of my limited understanding of ChatGBT that you can get ask questions and you will get text back. There is no visual element at this point, but you can ask it questions. And one of the interesting things about ChatGBT, which is an app, by the way, a free app, is that you can ask it questions and it will reply and then you can ask a follow-up question and it will revise and basically use its artificial intelligence and AI learning to understand and pinpoint what you're looking for. <coughs> now, that's a little weird, I know. <laughs> it's kind of new for everyone. But I remember a day long, long ago, I think it was 2008, when maybe a little earlier than that, when uh, a guy I was dating told me about a thing called YouTube and I went to my computer, my laptop, my ancient laptop, and I typed in YouTube, like the, the, the letter U. And he went, no, it's Y-O-U-Tube. And there were like 10 viral videos that everyone had seen. And that was YouTube. And that was the first time I used YouTube. I remember the first time I used a chat room. It was 1999. Um... I, I know what I was eating at the time, macaroni and cheese. I, it's like you just remember these things because they're a big deal. Well, the first time that I had used AI that I, well, I, we all use AI to some extent, but in a focused manner, in a, in a curious manner, in a poking the bear sort of manner was this week. So I'm going to share that with you. So I went to ChatGBT and um, as one does, because you want to Google yourself, right? You always want to, you know. It's all about you. It's all about me. I first asked, you know, about Haley and the Crushers. I think, though, the first thing I asked was, um, write me a story about Haley and the Crushers in space. And I'm going to read to you what ChatGBT spit out. Okay? Let me have a sip of coffee first because I'm going to need the caffeine here. I said... Tell me a story about Haley and the Crushers in space. <clears throat> this is what ChatGPT said. The scene is set in the vast expanse of space with stars and planets twinkling in the background. In the foreground, we see Haley and the Crushers, a three-piece band, floating weightlessly in their spacesuits. Haley, the lead singer and guitarist, is positioned front and center with her bright pink hair contrasting against the blackness of space. She is strumming her guitar while singing into a microphone, her voice amplified by the speakers on her spacesuit. To her left, the drummer is playing a set of glowing neon drums. 
with each strike of the drumsticks emitting a burst of colorful light. To her right, the bassist is plucking the strings of his instrument, with, with each note producing a pulsing wave of energy that reverberates through the vacuum of space. The whole scene is bathed in a neon glow, with the colors of the band's instruments and outfits creating a vibrant and otherworldly atmosphere. That is what ChatGBT spit out. Spit out. Now, what I love about this is so many things are well. First of all, it's actually quite well written. As it turns out, structuring things in an active voice and having good grammar and short sentences are all good rules of thumb with writing. And those are things that you can, a robot can do. A robot can do. And, or AI can do. And I'm okay with that. I'm a little threatened, but I'm okay with that. Um, However, details, like we're not a three-piece band anymore at the moment. We haven't really been lately. I don't have pink hair anymore. (laughs) Like, it's funny the stuff that AI will get wrong. Now, to that point, moving to a more... I don't know, factual kind of interrogation of AI. I also asked, tell me about Dr. Kane Esquire from the band Haley and the Crushers. Because as we all know, my husband, Reed Kane, goes by the moniker Dr. Kane Esquire. And in every article and in every credit of every album, he wants it to be Dr. Kane Esquire. It's his funny little joke with the world. It's his way of having a little alter ego alter ego we all know he's a big comic book guy it's my belief that it's his alter ego comic book version of himself which i think is great it's perfect for that because he is a different person on stage he does amp up his persona you could also say it's more like a wrestling moniker now here's what it says <clears throat> I won't read the whole thing, but I will give you some of it. Dr. Kane Esquire, also known as Dr. Sugar, I'm sorry, Dr. Kane Esquire, also known as Dr. Kane Sugar Hernandez, and sugar is in quotes, <laughs> is the basis for the punk rock band Haley and the Crushers. He joined the band in 2017, wrong, after responding to a Craigslist ad seeking a bass player, not true. Not much is known about Dr. Kane's background outside of his work with the band. However, he is known for his dynamic bass playing and his contributions to the band's sound. His bass lines are often groovy and danceable, adding to the fun and energetic vibe of the band's music. Dr. Kane is also known for his distinctive style, often sporting colorful suits and flashy accessories on stage. He has been described as a stylish and charismatic performer, and his stage presence adds to the band's overall energy and appeal. Now, that part's creepy, because we really don't talk about his swagger, his style what he wears on stage in press in situations i do a lot of press interviews i do a lot of press releases i did like i don't know 50 like interviews over the last album cycle with different press outlets and we really never talk about that so the fact that the ai was able to glean that from the internet and incorporate that in here is kind of cool because it is true just a stylish man he is charismatic he does wear flashy accessories on stage The final paragraph is basically just a closing paragraph about how he's a talented performer who brings a unique style and sound to the band, blah, 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 blah. But I I just found that interesting that this article, this, this, the story that AI gleaned is so wrong and so right. One, who the hell is Dr. Kane Sugar Hernandez? No idea. So I, I asked AI, chat GBT, 
who is Dr. Kane Sugar Hernandez? And it just says Dr. Kane Sugar Hernandez is in the band Haley and the Crushers. In every question I ask about Dr. Kane Esquire, the answer is Dr. Kane Sugar Hernandez. Now, there was another thing that came up that was quite weird. Um, I asked about myself. Who is Haley Kane? And basically, it said that I am a wrestler and a writer and a musician. And talked about my wrestling persona. Now, I know I've talked in the past about how when you're on stage, it's great to have a personality cranked up to 110 like a wrestler. You're yourself, but you're a little bit more intense. Speaking of that, speaking of wrestlers, Ric Flair, one of the most iconic wrestlers and peacock men in the world, is coming to Detroit um, to sell and promote his weed brand. So we're definitely going to go check that out. Okay. We're going to go check out Ric Flair, but I have talked about that, but, but AI seems to believe I'm a wrestler as well. So here's the thing. If it just thought I was a wrestler, I'd say, okay, well, it's gleaning it from someone else. And that's how this is working. But it literally says that I'm in this band. I'm a writer and I'm a wrestler. It, it It's connected all three. So <clears throat> this just goes to show Use ChatGPT, but use it with some caution. I also did something stupid, which I shouldn't have done, which was I asked ChatGPT to basically do my job. So my day job is to write content and to be a copywriter, essentially, for brands and for travel outlets, lifestyle. Um, I won't go too into it because it's pretty boring for you guys, probably, but I basically asked it to create some of the content that I normally create for a client. And you know what? It did it. And the thing about a lot of this branding and copywriting content is you want it to be SEO searchable, very simple, eighth grade reading level. You're not reinventing the wheel. And so you actually do want it to be direct and quick and to the point and written in active voice and present, you know, like not passive. And you want it to have, you know, all the the verbs and the, the nouns in the right places and AI is good at that. <laughs> so that was a little disturbing for me. I was like, okay. And now my, now I'm like, okay, but here's what I think's going to happen. And what I've kind of come to in my journey with this AI situation, uh, by the way, you should you definitely watch the John Oliver last week tonight episode about AI. It's really great. Um, it'll, you'll laugh, you'll be horrified, but you'll also laugh. Um, I've come to the realization that what's going to happen is ChatGPT is not, or AI in general, is not going to replace all of our jobs. What it's going to do is wipe out the people that are unwilling to work with it. I realized pretty easily in this experience that I could utilize ChatGPT and other AI software to improve what I do. So I could be a copywriter that in, that uses AI as a tool. And I think that will give me an edge. I think the people that refuse to use it because they're threatened are going to be phased out. Much like a lot of businesses that refuse to use social media for marketing are now non-existent or irrelevant. So yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> and that is actually not that scary because we all 
went through YouTube for the first time. We all went through social media for the first time. We all went through literally getting the internet for the first time. Some of us went through getting a telephone or a smartphone for the first time. Some of us went through getting literally a landline for the first time. Some of some of us in alive still remember when trains were pretty new, I think. Maybe those people are dead now. But the point being, there's always a new horizon. Do not be stupid. Move forward in the world and have your wits about you. Let's all as a collective society think about what this means and try to anticipate problems. As in, remember when um, we started cloning sheep? That was a big deal. We talked at nauseum about what that meant, how we were going to restrict certain elements of that and how we were going to keep our humanity. And as a culture, we need to do that with AI, but we should not be scared of AI. We should not be threatened by AI. Um, I only joke when I say it's horrible, horrifying, but it, I, the truth is <clears throat> unlimited power and unlimited knowledge and unlimited science is horrifying. And just because we can doesn't mean we should. We've seen that with, uh, you know, weapons of mass destruction and bombs. And we've seen that with a lot of things, privacy issues. So let's just take a beat. I do recommend checking out ChatGBT. It was a very easy process. You have just sign up for it. You get it. You basically get a login um, information and basically like it'll text your cell phone and then you have to do a code, that kind of thing. But it's pretty easy. I recommend doing it. I feel like a little bit more comfortable with it now. And that's probably the whole point of it. <laughs> and this is just like to get us, you know, feeling safe enough so that AI can take over the world. Just kidding. It's going to be fine. But I just wanted to share that story with you because it's kind of funny. Um, <clears throat> as I talk, I'm realizing this was, I, I'm probably so annoying and disgusting with my voice today. I'm so sorry. I did not realize I was still this congested. Okay. Let's get, a, let's try to get through this together. Um, we have a show with the Dolly Rots. And the Von Tramps this month in Detroit on March 19th at the Sanctuary. Excited about that. The Dolly Rots are a cool band. They're like a pop punk band, husband and wife team, and they bring their kids along for the ride. I really connect hard with bands that have couples in them, and I think it's great. I'm looking forward to meeting them. The Von Tramps are from, I want to say, Minnesota. I might be wrong about that. They are a kind of ska-based, upbeat, poppy band. I have not listened to that kind of music or seen that kind of band since I was maybe like 14 when ska was all the rage. So that should be interesting. I think it's going to be a high, high energy show, a lot of female energy. So that should be really cool. We are working on new t-shirts. We recently got an infusion of money from, what should I say? The kindness of the universe, the kindness of people in our lives. You know who you are. And we're very, very grateful for this ability to kind of have a leg up. And t-shirts are not that expensive. They really aren't. But it's one of those things where literally everything has been on the back burner as we try to get our lives situated here in Detroit, finding work, finding where we are, working on the house. So the fact that we're able to even think about new t-shirts because we're extremely low on merch, extremely low, is really great. And I know that Everyone loves our t-shirts. I could say that without being conceited because I truly do hear that. So 
we got new stuff for you. I'm excited. We'll, we'll even have maybe some colored items again. Colored t-shirts. Um, I am like so close to being done with this music video I'm working on. What's keeping me from it is one, I need to sit down in a chair and do it. And that's hard for me. Two, it's just me in the video, <laughs> which I know I'm self-involved in some ways, but it's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird just editing yourself. So that's going to be done soon. In fact, I'll be bold and say by next week, I'll have it done. Um, let's see in the crusher verse world here at the Midwest headquarters, we've had some ice storms. I don't know anything about ice storms. I don't know anything about, I literally saw my first snowblower last week. It's all new, but the main takeaway is ice coats. Ice is worse than snow because it coats everything. Power lines go down and you lose power. We were without power for about three to four days. It was very cold. We did not have heat and we had to be resourceful and scrappy. We used a small propane van heater in our bedroom, but it's horrible. I'm not used to it. I know in California, there's a lot less conveniences in that sense, but there's also more conveniences in wildfires and traffic and other things. But yeah, we're going to buy a generator for our house. Let's just put it that way. Um, I just have a lot of empathy now for people that go through this. I've heard <coughs> a lot of people in Michigan say, oh, I'm just, the services always go out. <clears throat> Power always goes out. That's not a big deal. And, and I'm not bitter about that. I have compassion and I go, wow, 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 wow. Michigan continually shows me the ways that I'm soft and continually, continually encourages me to toughen up. So that's that. Um, what am I consuming? I recently read the book, the visible man by Chuck Klosterman. It's great. It melds sci-fi with introspection, humor, and a bit of horror. I like books with a lot of emotional meat and a lot of emotional internal stuff going on, but this also has sci-fi or I guess you could say magical realism. I don't know. Go read it. It's great. Um, go, go read it. It's, it's equally great. It's actually better if you're in therapy or are like have a history with therapy because there's a big element of that in the book. In fact, the main narrator protagonist is a therapist. Let me take some coffee. Okay. Like a very, I sound like Millhouse from the Simpsons and it's not great. Okay. Speaking of therapy, um, Maniac on Netflix is great. Um, it is a show. A sci it's a sci-fi again, the genre of sci-fi, but Underneath it, it's about trauma and healing and friendship and love. It's kind of horribly sad, but it's also hilarious. And it's set in a in a future world that's analog, which I love when worlds become melded. Like, why shouldn't our future, a different version of our future, be a weird analog world? Um, It's like the steampunk idea of like, we're going to take this technology, but then not have this technology. It's cool. And the, it's very sad, but the ending is worth it. And I'm not going to spoil it for you. But if you do start watching it and you're like, oh no, this is bum bumming me out. Remember that the end is going to make it all better. Okay. Um, 
I listen to a lot of podcasts. I barely ever talk about exactly how many <laughs> because they're in all genres. I don't know what you guys are into, but I am listening to one that I find pretty interesting that I think most people will like or at least should listen to. And it's called um, The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. Um, if you don't know, J.K. Rowling is the author of Harry Potter. I never got into Harry Potter, I think because I'm a rebel and I even at the age of nine or ten was like, everyone likes that, so I'm not going to like it. I even remember <coughs> a family member gifting me that book and going, how basic. Because I was like an insufferable, precocious person. I was like, <laughs> I am that person still. I shouldn't say was, but... um. I think I missed out on the cultural phenomenon. I regret it a little bit. I have seen the movies. They're fine. I do like the idea of, what is it called? Squidditch with the people on the brooms having a um, a game where they fly on brooms with the ball. I think that's kind of fun. Um. Anyways, J.K. Rowling is a hugely influential person, especially in the millennial realm it's probably the one culture one of the one of the cultural phenomenons that millennials can all connect to in some way kind of the same as how boomers will say they all know where they were when they heard the beatles you know millennials know when they heard of harry potter um it was the first book that was spread by word of mouth by children not first i mean i'm sure there's some raw doll books and things but um it is definitely a book that completely, if you didn't know, I mean, it really out outsold everything at the time in, in a way that was like a rocket ship just taking off. Like this is, I, I mean, I knew that, but this, this podcast really does show how this was a lightning rod. Also politically, this is one of those books that was banned because there was, you know, witchcraft in it. And this was after 9-11. This was, or was it? Yeah. Around, actually, you know what? It was before 9-11, wasn't it? Because it was late 90s. But um, this was during the Bush era, um, George W. Bush era, during a time of fear and conservatism, fear about gay marriage. I remember that being such a big deal. And almost just the whole fabric of our society was changing in new different ways. And so there were a lot of fundamentalist Christians who burned the book, who tried to get the book out of schools, um, who successfully actually got it out of schools. Um, or basically kids would have to ask the librarian for it in their schools, which I think is terrible, but I'm trying to understand the context and this is what the podcast does. And it's easy to forget that that book was hated by the right religious right in this country flash forward to 2023 and the book is hated and maligned and the author is hated and maligned i should say because the book still has its cultural relevance and its nostalgia for people that are my age but um it's maligned by the left because the author is allegedly um a transphobe and a trans hater um, and has said terrible things about trans people, which I do not support and I think is terrible. Um, however, in our, our knee jerk reaction in our culture to cancel people, 
Um, it's very fascinating to see how this author has been a lightning rod for both the religious right and then the far liberal left. Um, and what I didn't know about her as a person is that she was very tragic figure in life before she became an author. Her mother died when she was young. She, I don't think had a real relationship with her dad and she was in an extremely abusive relationship with a man after the, the grief, the grief that went with mourning her mother, she fell into a very bad relationship that left her pretty much traumatized and broken. And she was physically abused. She was pregnant at the time. She literally had to get out by the skin of her teeth. It was one of the situations where he was going to kill her. I mean, this happens all the time, you guys. And, um, she, you know, almost middle age writes this book and it took her 17 years. Actually, she finishes it in her middle age. She was set, took her 17 years. And at one point, this guy, this guy and her, her, her husband at the time threatens to destroy the book and hides it from her, which I, as a writer, find so incredibly demeaning and terrible and abusive. It was the one thing she believed in and worked on. And he hid it from her. He threatened to burn it, the manuscript. And so she had to go page by page and rewrite and, and hide it from him. I mean, all this to say, we do not take into consideration all of the trauma and the things people go through when they say terrible things. Now, I'm not saying it's okay that she says terrible things about trans people, but let's look at the context of this person. She's extremely thoughtful, extremely smart, and ex and actually in the podcast where she gets interviewed quite a bit, comes off as very empathetic and very compassionate and like a very reasonable person. So it does challenge what you may think about her if you are on the side of, you know, screw her. She's terrible. She's a bigot. Um, her central conceit about everything with her transphobicness is that this is harming women and she's for women's rights and she connects it to her trauma. She may connect it more to her trauma than she even knows, but it comes out in the podcast and it's interesting. Okay. I'm just saying it's interesting. I think it's a great case study in what we all can learn from how to approach these prickly topics in culture without canceling people, without publicly shaming people. I think it's so important right now <clears throat> that we're really honest with ourselves about the times that we have done this and why. Because, you know, I don't know who said this, but it's hard to hate people close up. If we want to have a country that's more unified, we have to have conversations that are nuanced. We have to have understanding. We have to go, why do you feel that way? And really think about it. Because that's the only way. It's the only way. So I just encourage you to check out that that podcast. If you feel like like I do, I feel very dubious about cancel culture. Um, I think we went through this like grand, exciting time of cancel culture with Me Too. Me Too was needed. The power that you get from ousting powerful people that are disgusting, horrible people in the, in the sense that I believe everyone is worthy and everyone is born good, but it doesn't mean that you don't get held responsible for your actions. That was great. And we got drunk on that, that power, that me too power of getting rid of these 
sexually abusive predators in the world and entertainment industry, hearing women's stories, that's great. But we also need to, again, think about what does this mean for our society? Are we going to be a culture that is going to discount a person's entire history, humanity, and who they are and where they come from and just immediately tear them down the minute they say something that is considered offensive? And it's it's just very interesting. Um, it's very interesting. I could go on and on. I find it fascinating. And I think it's fascinating to me because, I don't know, I think for Gen Z, which is a little bit younger than me, like Gen Z is now, I think the oldest Gen Zs are like 25, 26. Um, this is normal to them. But to millennials and especially older millennials, vintage millennials such as myself that are 35, looking at 40, like kind of there, we didn't grow up with this. And this all happened once we were fully formed. So kids and people that are coming into this world not fully formed, just thinking that one day you can get canceled and publicly, basically a public death, be hung in the public square for all to see. It's a chilling effect and it's it's actually quite scary because you never know what thing you did that set someone off or what photograph will, will rise or come back to haunt you. I just – I think it has massive effects on our ability to feel like safe in society and in the world and to have nuanced conversations. So I don't think people that are have unformed brains should be – putting people in the public square and tarring and feathering them. I'll put it that way. There's also another book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. I believe it's by, I think it's Ronson, something Ronson. I'm so bad with the author's names. John Ronson? I don't know. Look it up. So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And that's a great, great book investigating this as well. Um, So yeah, I'm listening to the, 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 the Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling fascinating. She's also so involved in it. You're going to hear so much from her. And she is a fascinating, intelligent, special person. Um, So yeah, check it out. Okay. Craveworthy. I've been eating some corned beef sandwiches. Okay. What you need for a corned beef sandwich, and this is like, I'm not making these at home. This is, you got to go out for this is corned beef, on an onion roll, one layer of Swiss cheese, yellow mustard, and a sour pickle. It's so good. It's so good, and it really does rival the Coney Dog. However, that is not something I recommend making at home, and I feel like it's been nice to talk about recipes. One thing I never had heard of in my life is Chicken 65, and Being in this place where there's a lot more like Middle Eastern recipes, seasonings, whatever, what have you, um, I have been cooking with a seasoning I found at a local market called Chicken 65 Seasoning, and it's really good. I'm going to look it up and see what the hell it is. What what is in it? Um, It's called Chicken 65 because it was invented in the year 1965. I love that. So... It's like a very spicy, smoky, flavorful dish. I wouldn't say it's extremely 
um, smoky. Um, let's see if I can get the ingredients in here. I'm going to guess it's like paprika. Uh, so it's a deep fried chicken dish originating from Hotel Bukhari in India. Um, the, 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 the flavoring itself is like a red flavor. I guess that's attributed to the red chilies in the, the seasoning. Um, what are the exacts? I guess there's a bunch of different spices in it. Anyways, <coughs> I guess there's some masala spice in there, chili powder, turmeric, gram masala powder, lemon. So it's, it's got this like Indian vibe for sure. Um, Indian curry kind of vibe, but it's unique. It's like a little bit different. Um, so I recommend it. It's really good. I've been making it with chicken, obviously. <laughs> um, and then putting that over a bed of orzo and olives, cucumbers, and, um, tomatoes, essentially making it sort of like a Greek Indian hybrid. That's what I've been doing with it. And I always add some greens in there, some parsley, um, I think what's cool about this flavoring is it can literally go so many different ways. You could put it in a, any sort of Mediterranean style dish, but it also works for Indian. Um, it might work with Asian dishes as well. I just feel like it's a really cool seasoning I never even heard of. And I guess it's like a thing here. So that's been really good. I recommend checking that out if you haven't yet, because we're all looking for better ways to cook chicken. And that's an exciting way to use chicken. I feel like it makes a really lovely crust. I don't deep fry it. I actually, um, <clears throat> what I've been doing is chicken thighs boneless in an egg wash with a little bit of flour and the chicken 65, kind of dredging it lightly and then browning it in a little bit of olive oil, then throwing it in the oven at 450 for, I don't know, 10, 10 minutes, 15 minutes until it's cooked through. And I'm using, you know, very more thin chicken, chicken thighs. And then slicing them and putting them on salads and things. That's kind of how, how I'm doing it. But if you are like a fried chicken person, I know like I have friends that can make fried chicken. I'm terrible at it. It's too many steps and it's the inside's always raw. But if you do do fried chicken, I recommend getting this chicken 65 seasoning and adding it into your chicken batter because it would be so good with fried chicken. And I haven't had it that way yet. Um, there is a pizza place down the street that has a chicken 65 pizza. And that's the first way I encountered it. And I was like, hello, this is amazing. Um, so there's a lot of different applications for Chicken 65. Um, moving on. Sparkle of the week. Let's talk about that. All right. Again, I'm sorry. There's just no way around it. I'm a little bit sick. Um, my sister lives in Berlin. And I often forget how easy it is these days to send a little gift um, to, you know, it was her birthday recently. I sent her something and I always do that, but I was not feeling well, as you guys know. And she sent me um, a hot water bottle, some tea and some face masks, like, um, you know, the beautifying face masks, not the COVID face masks. <laughs> and I thought that was so sweet. And sometimes we forget when people are far away. The internet really does allow us to send things so easily because I, like when I want to send my sister stuff, I go to German Amazon and I just send it through German Amazon or German Etsy. Um, I've also sent like vegan treats to my best friend in SoCal. I like literally I can just send it to her um, like for her birthday or 
Um, my friend Danielle, who's in Slow, who I adore. I think I did that for her birthday. Maybe I'm getting the two confused. I think I've said it both times. If either of you girls are listening, <laughs> just know I love you. Um, I think it's cool. I think it's a really cute idea. Actually, no. Lindsay in SoCal sent me a vegan cake that was super good, I think. Yeah, for my birthday. But I feel like I did it to her too. Um, either way, it's awesome. I love giving it. I love receiving it. You can literally go online. It's like as easy as sending flowers. You can just send anything. You can send Uber Eats. Um, you can go on Amazon in whatever country. You can go like, I think what I did for Danielle is I went, yeah, to a local, I knew there was like a local company that made food that I thought she would like. And it was like a vegan cheese. And you can just go to that local company and have it sent. It's like, it's, it's, I know this is like not rocket science. You guys already know this, but I think it's really sweet, especially if someone's sick. Like I was not expecting my sister all the way in Berlin to send me that little care package. And that was just really kind and sweet. And it just reminds me we're all more connected than we think we are. It's not that hard. Um, I think it's really sweet and I need to do that more. I, and that goes, so my sparkle goes to my sister chakra because that was really kind, and I really appreciated that. Um, second, the, my um, my runner up goes to the fact that Barcade exists, and there's that 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 Monday night pinball meetup. Because I think it's so good for Dr. Kane to get out and meet other guys and play pinball. It's five dollars, and you play pinball. You have a tournament for like two or three hours. So if you're a pinball person, this is like heaven for you. And I went one night and they were really friendly and really nice. And I just think it's great. I was laughing. I'm like, this is like what they call parallel play. Um, you may or may not know, but both of my parents worked for many years at Mattel. Include, my mom actually worked there for like 30 years and just retired. Congratulations. Um, so incredible. Um, but there's this thing called parallel play where kids, especially boys, will play next to each other. Like, I'm going to play with my truck and you're going to play with your truck. And we're going to play next to each other. And it's kind of like there's so few ways that grown men in this country are able to interact and like hang out in a way that isn't like alcohol related or going to a sporting event. Like it's nice that that is a thing that he can do. And I think it's just so healthy. And he's starting his soccer league next Monday. So he'll have to give up his pinball for soccer. But these are all just great ways. And I feel like if you are a man listening to this, I hope that you have a way that you seek out community and you don't feel isolated because for far too long, we've all just ignored the fact that men are not allowed to share their emotions and have like really no way to like meet each other in like a fun, friendly, Hey, let's be friends way. Whereas women have so many other ways to do this. It's so much more culturally accepted. We're taught from a young age to create these little communities over things. I remember at one point in my life going to like a crochet and wine night and I like barely even crocheted, but like it was available to me or going to like, what do we do? Like a painting night or, um, book groups. Like, I think it's really cool to see that for men. Um, so yeah, that's like my secondary. I just been thinking about that. Like, it's so nice. And I've been looking for more meetups locally. And I'm just thinking like, what are my hobbies? I need to have more weird hobbies. Cause um, I want to meet up with people and share experiences with them. So shout out to anyone who has the gumption to herd the cats enough to get a meetup of adult people together to do some 
so-called frivolous thing because it's not frivolous at all. It actually makes a difference. Um, let's see. My quality thought of the week comes from the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. Oh, this is so embarrassing. So for the longest time, I thought that book was stupid because I thought it didn't work for me. And then I literally realized like two nights ago, I had never finished it. It had been on my Kindle. I'd read 20%. And in my brain, I thought I had finished it. I had not finished it at all. In fact, I'd barely started it. And I've read some self-help books, including like the, what is it? Minimalism. And I don't even remember. They all blend together. And I glean certain things from certain ones, but everyone quotes this book and says it's great. And I'm like, eh, I read it. It doesn't do anything for me. I hadn't even read it. This is like the most ADHD thing that I do is I read like eight books at once and I will finish books, obviously, but I just love to have variety in my life. So I'm reading it and it's great. One of the main things it talks about that is so great is the idea that your existing habits already exist. So just stack something on them. So it's like, you know that you go to the bathroom and you pee in the morning. That's a that's like literally a habit. I mean, that's also a bodily function, but it's a habit. Like you could leave your, you could leave something out on your counter in your bathroom, knowing you're going to see it the first thing and it will create a chain reaction or at least remind you that you have to do that thing. And it's like you, we are such simple creatures that's what I like about the book. It's like really breaks habits down to the simplest form. And it's basically saying, it's not that you don't have good habits. It's, it's, it's not that you don't have habits in your life. You do. They're just not great, <laughs> but you can leverage the ones you already have. Like the most basic habits, like getting coffee in the morning, you know, you're going to walk into the kitchen, put your pills next to the coffee. <laughs> so you don't forget your pills. Um, it's really simple. I know it's again, not rocket science, but the weird thing about all human output, whether it's like a self-help book or art, is we all come at it at different times and it all hits us different. This is why I believe we need everyone's voice because you don't know when that thing's going to hit or be helpful. You don't know when you're going to actually read that book and be like, oh, this makes sense to me. Um, and it, sometimes it takes your whole life because you have to get to the point where you're primed enough to understand it. There are a lot of self-help books out there, but I think they should just keep making more for this exact reason. Um, it's all got to hit us differently at different times. So thank you, Atomic Habits. I'm enjoying you. And my quality thought of the week, ugh, just to get around to it and finally give you the quality thought of the week, is a quote from the book, <sighs> which is, every action you take is a vote for the person you wish to become. I love that. Um, so yeah, make sure you're voting for the person you want to be. And, um, yeah, rock the vote, as they said back in the day, back in my day, rock the vote and yeah, vote for the, vote for the person that you're the most interested in becoming. All right. I hope you have a great week. Sparkle hard. I'll see you next week. God willing. <laughs>